it's fitting that uh, without trying to make political statements, I'm not here to do that, but it is fitting that we come to this passage on this weekend. I think as we look around, we are seeing in America how freedoms can be abused and, and privileges can be abused and, and uh, self can uh, overrule and, and we can use all of our freedoms on self. And uh, we live in a world where freedoms have been isolated from the good of the whole to the good of the individual. It's no longer, uh, we don't really think about others. It's all about ourselves. Uh, I, me, have become the, the determining factor in how we legislate, how we behave, what we do. It, it really doesn't matter what it means for other people. It's, if it's good for me, then, then, then we'll do it. And, and we see where this leads. It leads to quarrels and biting and problems, exactly what Paul says in verse 15. The reality of what we've seen over the last few weeks, starting in verse 1, talking about freedom is this, that we are not free from each other. We're really free to each other and to God in a way that the law never ushered in, the way that the law never allowed. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been freed from the law of sin and death. The law is not your, your means as of obtaining righteousness from God. It is through Christ alone. And in this, this group of Judaizers that Paul is dealing with, they were saying, no, you need to go back to the law. In order to be, maybe, maybe in order to be saved, but certainly in order to be perfected, it was Christ plus the law. And again, we saw that in Galatians 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? And Paul is explaining here, and I've been trying to explain over the last few weeks exactly what Christian freedom is. We are free to each other and to God in a way that the law never allowed. We're sons. We're sons. My, my children, my son and my daughter are free to me in a sense, in a way that your kids are not. Now, obviously, through relationship, they may, they may be given that privilege, but my son and my daughter as children have freedoms with me and to me. And they're not by law. They're by relationship. By the mere fact that they are my son and they are my daughter. And what, what Galatians and what Paul has been trying to say is that you have become a part of the family of God. You have become Abraham's children by faith not by works, by grace. It's not by keeping the law. It's by the work of Christ, by belief in the work of Christ. All of this, your relationship, your, your status as sons and daughters is through the work of Christ, not of yourselves. And they were yet, they wanted to go back and become, they're tempted, they were being tempted anyway to go back and become slaves. Though they were sons, to go back and relate to God as a slave. And ironically, what Paul says here, we'll see in our verse, is, hey, if you want to be slaves so bad, be slaves to God by loving each other, not the law. Make yourself, if you want to be a slave so bad, if you want to take a spirit of slavery, then you be a slave to one another through love. 
not the law. And what Paul is saying here is we're not free from God. Don't think of your freedom that way. We're not free from God. We are free to obey God. And through Christ, we are free to obey God in a, in a way that the law never offered. In a spirit of forgiveness and not condemnation. In Galatians 3, we saw that. He says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The law brought a curse. It brought condemnation. That's why Romans 8, it says, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Prior to Christ Jesus, you know what you got? Condemnation. Condemnation. Why? Because you're a sinner. But now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the other thing that the law didn't offer, the law didn't offer a power to obey. What Paul is trying to help us understand here is through the Spirit given to us, living in us, literally Christ in us through the Spirit, we can obey God in a way that the law never offered either. That's Romans 8. It says, they do not please God, nor are they able to do so. What Paul is saying is what we have in Christ through the dwelling now of the Spirit, we can obey God and we can please Him. That is our freedom. To, to relate to God in a way that, that was never possible before through mere law-keeping. You couldn't relate to God this way. And what Paul is saying is, listen, we're not free to sin. We're free not to sin. Beforehand, we, as, as, as non-believers, we did not have the power to put to death our flesh. Paul, uh, Barry said that in verse 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's what Romans 8 talks about. The Spirit puts to death the flesh. My flesh will not put to death my flesh. My flesh will gratify my flesh. But the Spirit in me will put to death the deeds of the flesh. I don't have to sin anymore. Only God offers this, not the law. But not only that, he says, we get to it now, he says, you're free to serve. You're free to serve. You're free to serve as a son. The, the whole Galatians, again, the, 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 the emphasis on family, the family of God. How do we relate to God in a family? In a sense, he's saying as sons. That was Galatians 4. We're free to love as a son. Not only are we free to serve as a son, now we can love as a son. As brothers and sisters in Christ, not only love God, but love one another. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. That makes, that makes us brothers and sisters. That, that makes you co-heirs even with Christ. Think about that. He's saying you're, not, you're free now in Christ to... To, to not waste yourself on yourself, but to waste yourself on glorifying God through serving others. Because you have an inheritance that you don't have to earn. It's been given to you. You have a standing. You have a title. You have, an, you have been declared sons and daughters. You've been adopted by, by no work of your own, all by grace. Declared, given to you. What he's saying is that means that we don't have to jockey for position. I don't have to one-up you, and you don't have to try to one-up me to, to, to earn or merit our standing before God. That's, that's the way, if you, if you have kids, that's the way little kids do. That's the way immature little kids do. They, they want to one-up one each other to try to earn or, or to get your attention. I don't have to do that. We're brothers and sisters. 
We have a, we've fully been given our, our inheritance has been declared through Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't have to jockey with, with you and I. You and I don't have to jockey. I don't have to compete with you for God's attention or his affection or position or any of that as a son and as a daughter. I have a son and I have a daughter. Look, they're equal. Are they different? They're absolutely different as night and day, but they're equal. Why? Through the relationship, through the declaration that you are my son and my daughter. Our security, what he's saying is the security that our relationship with God through Christ offers is that we can freely love and serve one another in ways like never before. All of that and all of that is fueled not by my flesh, but by the Spirit. God has put His Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, He has sealed us. The Spirit has sealed us, indwells us. Literally, it's Christ in us through the person of the Spirit. That's why He says in, in an amazing statement in, in, in John 16 that it's to your advantage that I live. Why? Because Christ would not, be, would not be located in just one specific place. He'd be located in all of us all over the world. Through believers. And, and, and again, no external law, no external law could produce this. No external law was going to produce a love for others that rivaled our love for ourselves. But the Holy Spirit can produce that, and that's exactly what He does. So we're going to look in verses 13 through 15 today. Barry Chesney a few weeks ago looked at 16 through 25 because I didn't move fast enough through the book, and that's my fault. But verses 13 through 15, we, I want us to look at today. And this thought continues into chapter 6. But the main point you see on your handout, as you look at verses 13 through 15, the main point that I want us to walk away from here today is this. On this 4th of July weekend, is believers are set free from the law in Christ, but the truest expression of this freedom is seen as a, in a freedom to serve and to love others, not to waste it on ourselves. We are free to love and to serve others, not free to waste it on ourselves. That's not what we were set free from. And Paul explains this in a, in a couple of ways, and I want to I make two points today that you see on your handout to make, this, to make this clear to us in verses 13 through 15. And the first point is this. You see it on your handout. Our freedom in Christ is not an unbounded freedom. That was a confusion. If you take away the law, what, what, what in the world is going to happen? You can't take away the law. What, how are people going to act? How are people going to behave? And in Galatians 5, we've seen that Paul addresses the two great dangers that face believers in regards to our freedom. And what we looked at over the last couple weeks was this. There was a danger to lose your freedom. There you see that A on your handout. To lose our freedom by going back to the law as a means of earning a relationship or, or adding to the work of Christ. You would lose your freedom. By living by law and not by faith, you, you would lose your freedom. But what Paul talks about here in verses 13 through 15 ties into that, but it's an abuse. The, risk, the, the danger we face is to abuse our freedom. By wasting on ourselves. And, and this was regularly an overreaction to Paul when he talked about believers not being under the law any longer. This was, this was regularly 
when he would say believers are not under law but grace, this was a regular overreaction or a misunderstanding to what Paul was saying. You can go to Romans, you go back to Romans 6, 1. They says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 15, what shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves as someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Listen, because the grace of God is so amazing, so revolutionary, it's so opposite to, what the, to what, how we deal with each other, what we expected, one might inter- and misinterpret God's grace for license. I just do whatever I want to do. And, in the, and there, the Jews especially are saying, look, you take away the law, people are just going to go crazy. They're going to do whatever they want to do. And that might be the case were it not for God's Spirit living in us. And that Spirit enables us to, to walk as God has called us to walk. The Spirit enables us to obey. It, 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 it enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It enables us to walk worthy as Ephesians 4, 1 says, for three chapters, again, we said last week, Paul has a habit of, in Ephesians, the first three chapters, very much doctrine. 4 through 6, living that out. Philippians 4, same transition. Romans 11, through 1 through 11, very much theological heavy doctrine. Romans 12, therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual servant worship. It, given what God has done, the indicative... What God has done over here now, built upon that, is the imperative, what, how we respond to that. That's what Paul does here in Galatians. He's building to this, and he says, how do you respond? Here it is. Here, here, here's what Christ has done, a summary of chapters 1 through 4. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. But how do we live in that freedom? And what Paul shows us is this, that what we see is, is this, that our freedom is not an unbounded freedom but it is a freedom that is controlled by love, both for God and for others. We have a freedom that is regulated, that is controlled, if you will, by a love for God, but also a love for others. It is not an unbounded freedom in that sense. We saw last week, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working how? Through love. Look at, look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This same theme runs throughout Paul's letters. 2 Corinthians 13. Remember what he, we looked at it a few weeks ago, but he says... Uh, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 13. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. The, another word there for controlled is compels. It fuels. You, 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 see, it, you see it throughout throughout his letters, that our love for God flows into a love for others. It's not, it's, our love is motivated and regulated by God's love first for us. We'll see that in point two. But the reality is, we live in a time, we have the old nature, the new nature in us. We can, if we're not careful, if we'll, we can live according to the flesh. That's a very real possibility. 
That's why he says, as Barry showed us in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. He goes on to give the deeds of the flesh. Then he gives the deeds of the Spirit. The danger for the Galatians and the danger for us is to deceive ourselves into what real Christian freedom looks like. And, and we go and waste our lives on ourselves. Deceived by Satan, deceived. You look at 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He says, in whose case the God of the Satan masquerades as an angel of light. You know, he pretends to be something he's not. He's a deceiver of the brethren, we see. And, and we, 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 don't need to be, we can't be deceived by Satan. Later on in chapter, chapter 6 of Galatians, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. And, and really, the freedom in, in Christ, it's one of the many paradoxes. The freedom of the Christian life is really one of, the, one of the many paradoxes, if you will. In our freedom, Christian freedom is a freedom to serve God and others. It's a freedom to serve. We have been set free to serve. That's why you see in, in Romans, he uses a, a different kind of language, if you will, because in Romans, most of those citizens, if not many, many, if not most, were slaves, and he calls them slaves. In Galatians, he refers to us as sons. At the end of the day, what do sons and what do, what do slaves and what do sons do? Slaves to their masters, sons to their parents. You know what they do? They obey. They obey. They don't determine for themselves, they obey. And Christian freedom is a freedom to serve God and others. What, what Christian freedom does, you see on your handout, it liberates believers from the selfish desires and allows them to serve God and others in joy. We, we come to God as our, as our Father and, and also at the same time as our Master and we can obey Him in joy. The Spirit enables us to want to obey God to see the goodness of, his, of this word of God, to see the goodness when it says, do not commit adultery, do not do these things. We see the goodness in that because we have a Father who loves us and we want, we want to obey Him. The Spirit does that. And Christian freedom manifests itself, you see on your handout, in itself in a love for God and others. And the Spirit living in us causes us to desire to serve others and not just ourselves. Again, it's one of the many paradoxes that you see. That though we are free from everyone, we make ourselves a slave to everyone. Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians 19. He says, though I am free from every man, I have made myself a slave to every man. Why? To win the more. Was he free? Yes, he was. He voluntarily, out of a love of God, that flowed into a love of others, he voluntarily laid down his freedom to serve others. And in doing so, he was serving his God. What was the point? To win the more. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became... He goes on and so on to say, I will voluntarily, motivated again, fueled by a love for God, ultimately. And that flowed into a love for others. And our freedom... Our freedom, listen to me, our freedom frees us to do what God wants, not what we want. It frees us to do what God wants, not what we want. To, to live for God in a way that was not possible before under the law. To live in the freedom and the joy of being God's child. 
And the Spirit enables us, you see it there on your handout, enables us to live in the freedom of wanting to serve God and obey rather than having to serve God and obey. We want to serve God and obey. We want to glorify Him. It's not a chore. It's not this burden. It's a joy. And what Paul says in verse 14 is that this love for God flowing into a love for others is a summation. It is a fulfillment of of the entire Old Testament law. Think about that. Think about that. We take 613 Mosaic commandments, and I'm going to boil them down to one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The irony is that the opponents of Paul were seeking to fulfill the law and the power of the flesh and couldn't do it, and yet through the power of God and the Spirit, we can fulfill the whole law through one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as yourself. Love others as yourself. And yet, again, the irony is this. Nothing new. If you go back to Leviticus 19.18, listen to what the law says. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Been there all along. Again, man in hell of himself doesn't have the power to do this. We need God and His love in us to empower us to do this. We need to better comprehend the great love of God that has, He has shown us and allow that to flow in to how we serve one another. Understanding first how God loves us. Again, we've said it before. What Paul is saying is same as in Ephesians 3. What you and I need more than anything is an understanding of the love of God. He says, my prayer for you is that you would understand how high and wide and deep and that the love of God is. If we're honest, we're, we're, we, we can fall in the trap of the guy in Matthew 18 who, who was forgiven a billion dollar debt, a debt that was unpayable, and then he turns around and throws his buddy in jail for a very, very, very small debt. Because he didn't understand his own debt. He didn't understand the love God had for him. And that flowed into a mistreatment of those around him. We, we need to better comprehend the love of God. Look, look, look with me at verse 3. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the law. Look, look at that, how the love of God changes everything. In verse 3, you go back to the law, he's saying that is burden and that is obligation and that is indebtedness. But look at verse 13. You are called to freedom. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Verses 13 and 14 stress love and the power that that love provides us. God's love for us, and in turn, our love for Him shows itself, demonstrates itself in a love for others. In seeking the interests of others with the same fervor, the same intensity that we seek our own interests. Look with me at Romans 13, or it should come up on the screen. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Again, Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, it is a response to the gospel. It is a response to salvation being offered through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. All that God has done, listen to the response. Oh, verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Listen, the only debt, if you will, owe nothing to no one except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. 
For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Listen, what he's saying, what Paul is saying in Romans, what he's saying in Galatians is this. You see it on your handout. Love for neighbor eliminates the need for the other commands on how to treat one another. You don't need 58 commands. You love one another. And, and let me show you how this, let me think, think through this, how, how a love for God and a love for others would permeate and guide. If we, did, if we just thought about that, if we comprehended God's great love for us in every circumstance and every decision we face, if this one command, if we truly understood God's love in the gospel, and, and I want to I illustrate it in, in something that will relate to, to young people and, and us old people alike. And, and think about this. Think about this. At some point... I'll just go out on a limb and say most of us old people have been out on a date, have dated somebody. I'm going to assume that. Okay? Our young children are moving in that direction rapidly. They're going to want to date. As parents, we start worrying, you know, well, we've got to teach them this, we've got to teach them that, we've got to teach them this. And that's good. That's good. You, you ought to help them be wise. But think about this. Think about this. How would, a, how would, if a kid, if, if our children love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as themselves, think about how, just how that one command would change dating. Because Here, here's the questions we get in dating. How far is too far? Well, guess what? That's not a love question. That's not a question that's motivated by a love for others. That question is motivated by a love for self. It's a love for self. How far can I go and still look righteous? That's a selfish question. Most of the, if, 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 if we just loved others rightly, if we served others right, listen, we get fleshly and we get selfish. And we do things and we'll say, oh, I'm doing that because I love them. No, you're not. Listen to me. I was a young boy at one time. You're doing them because you love yourself. And the way you're defining love has no resemblance to the biblical definition of love. You're thinking of self. You're not thinking of others. You're, you're gratifying yourself. Oh, I love... No, 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 you don't. Listen, girls, boys alike, don't, don't believe the lies. If they're trying to get you to do something that's unbiblical, it ain't because they love you. Not biblically. It's selfishly motivated. And the issue, the heart of why we don't know how to date and why we do things in dating, why we covet, why we lie, why we steal, why we do all these other things, it's a, it's a lack of love for God and a lack of love for others. It's a love for self. That's why we cross lines. That's why we hurt each other. The issue is a void in our own lives that only God can fill and we refuse to let Him fill it. And so we look for others to fill it, and we expect others to fill it, and we use God to fill voids in our own lives that only God was meant to fill. And at the root of it is love. I mean, you think about it, think about that. If the love of God was really controlling us, and a, and a love of others 
flowed out of that. What our sons and daughters need more than anything else is an understanding of the gospel. It's an understanding of God's love for them. It's an understanding of their position. It's an understanding of the relationship. And then that flows in. I'm not saying we'll be perfect. We're sinners. But, but listen, I promise you, what we, you and I need more than anything else, not, and, and, and dating was just one example that, that, could, that all of us could register because we've all made mistakes in dating, I'm sure. And if we look back and honest, they were mistakes made because we were thinking about ourselves, not because we were thinking about others. It definitely wasn't motivated by a love of God. And that love of God regulates and governs everything about our lives, even in dating. That, that will regulate, that will answer the questions. The answer, is not, the answer is not, can I? The answer is, does this express love? Does this glorify God? Going too far at the end of the day is a violation of love. Not only a love for God, but it's a violation of love for the other person because if you really love them, you wouldn't cause them to stumble. You would not cause them to want to do something that was contrary to God's word. So what I'm trying to say is ultimately it's a love issue. It's not that we need 5,800 rules on how to date. More than anything, we need a love for God. More than anything, we need a love for others. We don't need more rules. We need a love for God himself. And the problem is when we don't read the word and we're starved of the word and then we expect our kids and even ourselves to go in the workplace in the dating relationship and glorify God, but, but they're not prepared. They don't have a love of God controlling them. Listen, and that love for God, it starts at home. That's my responsibility. It, that, that God gave Sarah Grace and Bradley Cooper to me and Sarah and Karen, somebody. They think they run the home, and a lot of times they do. Again, the issue is at home. It's, it's, it, that's, that's my issue for those two children. It is a love for God and a love for others. It is flesh. It is a flesh versus the spirit issue. Listen to me, and that's the same at work. It's the same with friends. It's the same with family. It's the same with parenting. It's the same with school. On and on and on. A love for God that flows into a love for others. The thing is, is that in our flesh, we, want, we, we gravitate the law. Just give me 10 things that I can do so that I don't have to worry about just tell me 10 things I can do that I can look righteous. All the while over here, my heart has not changed. And, and in our flesh, we're like the Pharisees. We're, we want to look righteous more than doing the hard work of being righteous. And we think, well, I'll just regulate it by the flesh. Just teach me morality. Just I'll regulate it by the flesh. I'll just pull up my bootstraps and I'll do it. Versus the Spirit living through us. Versus the Spirit doing it through us. And you want to help your children in all these areas? You want to show, you show them the, a love for God that, has, that He has for them in spite of them. You show them Him He loved them when they were yet an enemy. And then they go do likewise at school. You show, them, you show them the love God has for them. You fill them up with the Word of God and you encourage them to walk in that direction. And they go to school. They go to their campuses and the, they're, they're filled with the Spirit. The Colossians 3.16, the Word of God is richly dwelling in them. And that's what's controlling them on that campus. Not you hoarding over them. Not 58 rules. Not trying to pull out a checklist. But the love of God is regulating them. A love for others is what's regulating them. 
Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Put it on. What we need more than anything, and what Paul is saying, is a right understanding of the love that, he, of God, that God has for us, and then let that love flow into our treatment of others. Listen to me. Adultery, covetousness, lying, stealing, gossiping, those are love issues. You don't do those things to people you love. Those are flesh issues. Those are not spirit-driven issues. And what happens is, when we start loving God the way, that, the way that He loves, when we respond to that love rightly and, we, and that love flows into others, listen, we start asking dis- different questions. We no longer ask the question, can we? The question becomes, should we? Look, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Can you? Maybe. That's not the right question. It should you. He says the same thing in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And, and, and some, some commentators there believe Paul is possibly quoting a Corinthian slogan that was, hey, all things are lawful. That was the way they regulated it. And Paul is saying, you know what, believers? You know what? But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. He says, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. It's not a can I. It's, it's not, is this best for Chris? Hey, it's, is, this, is this best for the Hutchesons? Is this best for the Hewitts? Hey, how will me doing this and ended up on the front page of the newspaper, how is that going to reflect on the body of Christ? Not just on me. It's an other-mindedness. The question doesn't become, can I? The question becomes, does this glorify God and profit the gospel? Does this help me in my walk with Christ? Does this help my neighbor? Does it, does it serve my neighbor? And again, a love for God and others is the issue. That is the issue. Why we mistreat people is because we don't love them. We don't love them the way we ought. And when we understand God's love for us, and when the Spirit fills us, controls us, he's saying, you don't need a bunch of other laws because you have God's love and the Spirit controlling you. That's what he says. We'll get to it next week, Lord willing. Verse 2 of chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Love. It's a love issue. Bear one another's burdens. You know, I, I, that, is what I'm, that is probably the thing that has struck me the most, if I'm honest, of being a a lead pastor, if you will, versus just a recreation pastor. Someone the other day asked me, you know, hey, what's the difference between being the rec pastor and the, the lead pastor? Well, physically, being the rec pastor, physically, that was more exhausting. Painting fields, dragging fields, out in the sun, dot, dot, dot. Emotionally, emotionally, being the lead pastor is way more exhausting. Emotionally. Because I know what, you, I know what a lot of you guys are going through. And, and I know the burdens that you're bearing, and I know the hurts that you're dealing with and all that stuff. Listen to me. I, I don't do it perfectly because I'm a sinner, but, but I go to sleep thinking about those things, and I wake up thinking about those things. That's, that's the challenge of standing right here. 
People ask regularly, hey, how are things at Odessa? Well, generally they're good, but I also know there's a, every single person here is hurting in some way or the other. And so to stand up, oh, it's awesome, it's great. No, we're walking through junk. We got burdens. We got hurts. We got families that are broken. We got cancer. We got just junk everywhere. I'm not saying Christ is more than sufficient for all of us. And appreciate Daniel reminding us that this morning, that God's grace is sufficient for his strength is perfected in our weakness. And that's the way he's designed it. But listen to me. This is a church of people that are hurting. Messed up, hurting people. For us to live lives as if that's not the case. For us to live as if this person over here was, that is a violation of love. It's a violation of love. The thing that we need more than others, I mean, Idlewild is walking through this thing with Oksana right now, and they start coming to me, asking me questions about mission statement and all that stuff, and just hear me. Administ- I, I'm not that kind of guy. I, I, I'm an administrative nightmare, and I, 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 I don't have a lot of things that I do well. Listen to me. Here's, here's what I want for us. You want a mission statement? Love God, love others. I'm not belittling anybody else's. I'm simply going back to the Bible. I got my hands full with that one. Love God, love others. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other... I got my hands full with that. That's the fight. Love God. The thing that would change this church more than anything is a bunch of people who love one another and bear one another's burdens. Who can't wait to outserve one another. And all of that is fueled by a love of God. A group of people who see themselves as having been enemies of the cross and God sent His one and only Son to die for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Fueled by that. Fueled by that. A love for God and a love for others that binds us and that binds and guides our freedoms. It it teaches us and empowers us to look past ourselves and in every single area of our life. But here's the problem. Here's the fight, and this is what Paul is getting at. We think we deserve to be loved. If we're honest, where we tend to go to and gravitate to is eventually we think we deserve to be loved. That's the danger. That we weren't as bad as we really were. Tony's teaching his class and showing that there's theologies out there that we're not born sinners. We don't have no sin nature. Have a kid. Have a kid. See how early they sin. I didn't teach my son to steal. I didn't teach my daughter to cheat. Try playing Uno. <laughs> Seriously, you got to sit there with your cars like this. I mean, they're leaning over. They're doing this. The rules are changing. Sarah and I were playing Uno yesterday, and she's, she's yelling and screaming, I go first, I go first. I said, all right, go first. I said, but watch, the, and this was, I shouldn't have said this because then it happened and it made it look like I rigged it. I said, Sarah, you're being selfish, and but when that call, when that first card gets flipped over and it's a draw four, just remember you're going first. And what was the first card that I flipped over? You stacked the deck, you rigged it. You wanted to go first. God's teaching you a lesson. If you'd have been selfless and said, Daddy, you, I'm just gonna love you, Daddy, and you go first. I want you to go first. I'd have been drawing four cards. And she's like, I'm not drawing four cards. But that's what the rules say. I don't care. I ain't drawing for God. All right. I didn't teach him that. And mama taught him that. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> she's at home with him all day. I don't know what she's doing. But 
listen, if we're honest, we think our sin debt was less than, less than, you know what, he was a big sinner, I was just a little sinner. He had a huge sin debt, I just had a little sin debt. No, no, listen to me. Our, every single person in here had a sin debt that was so great it cost God his son. In order to pay off the debt, God crucified his own son. Once and for all. I mean, think about our lives if that thought permeated every moment of our lives. I stand in grace because another person died for me. I stand as a child of God, co-heir with Christ, because Jesus Christ died for me. God, in His great love and mercy, opened up my eyes to that reality and enabled me to perceive that, drew me to Himself. That right there, I hope you see what I'm saying, the Spirit uses that to keep us from elevating ourselves over another, understanding God's love for us. You say, oh, Chris, that's great, but, but how does that happen? Listen, that's number two here. God's love for us is our example for how we're to love one another. God's love for us is our example of how we're to love one another. And, and this point may not be as readily clear on the surface, so I want to dig down real quick here. All of this flows from a love for God first for us through the gospel. And I, I want to show you this in the Bible. Turn with me, or it may come up on the screens. 1 John 4, I want, to read, I want to read 1 John 4, and this is a chunk, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that He might live through Him, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Listen, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means payment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. It's brought to its fullness. It's not a, God's love for us was never meant to just stop at us. It was meant to overflow in the lives of others and show that love. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Again, you see, it's, it's fueled by the Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know God and have believed the love which God has for us. Again, if, if, if that he's saying that's a result. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Do you, do you see the, how this flows out of our lives? It's not man-centered. By this, love is perfected, you see the word again, with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you see it? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. Do you see the source? The, the source of our love is the gospel. It's God's love for us. We are empowered, you see it on your handout, to love others because he first loved us. Ask yourself, how have I been loved by God? Go love others likewise. See, and the point is, is we're gonna, if, we're care, if we're not careful, that flesh will say, you know what, you weren't really that big of a sinner. You aren't in, 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 and you'll treat others the same way. But when you're overwhelmed with the reality of, of your own sinfulness, when you're in awe that God would love a sinner, when, you, when you're like Paul and you can call yourself the chief of sinners, he knew that he was. He wasn't arguing with God about his sin. And it overflowed into a love of others. It's an undeserved love. It's an unwarranted love. It's a love that you can never pay back. Beyond that, listen to me. His love for you and I, believer, was a love for an enemy. People are coming to my office and say, you know what? I, I hate my, this, this person and, and they're so mean to me and dot, dot, dot. How should I treat them? Love them. What? Love them. Why? Oh, they're your enemy? Yeah. You know what God says to do with your enemy? Love them. Go to Romans 12, 18, never pay back. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. Love them. Love them. He says, and in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. That's ultimately what you want anyway. You know? Love them. Everything in our lives is us living out. You see it on hand, it is us living out what has been done for us through God's love for us in the gospel. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is a response to the grace of God through Christ in the gospel. And Jesus, listen, in 13, John 13, 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. The result is this. He says in verse 35, it says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. How? You love one another. Love others, even as I have loved you. Guess what he was going to do in a matter, of, a matter of hours when he told those people he was about to die. Greater love is no man than this, than he what? Lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his enemies. Enemies. The badge, the badge of a follower of Christ is our love for one another. We love as we have been loved. We fill up through God's word and through a relationship with God and a daily walk with God. We fill it up, you know what we do, and then we love others. It just flows out, controlled by the Spirit. And our example, our example is this. How far, how far do we go for one another? How far did Jesus go for his friends? How far? All the way. How far do we go? We go all the way. How, how much do we forgive? Well, how much have you been forgiven? Law says seven times. That's why Jesus said 70 times seven. That doesn't mean you keep a calculator. Well, Karen, you're on 488. You got two left. He's saying you keep forgiving. Why? Because that's the way you've been forgiven. Listen, in Matthew 5, 46, he says, for if you love those, listen to me, if 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 we only love people the way they deserve it, if we only love people for where they're worth it, if we only love people that love us, 
Listen to what Matthew 5, 46 says. For you love those who love you. What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Listen, the world loves people that love them. The world loves people that are easy to love. The world loves people that can, hey, there's something in it for me, so I'm going to love that joker. That's the way the world does. If we as a Christian body only love people that deserve it or warrant it or are worthy of it, there's no difference between us and the world. But the Spirit of God in us, God's love for us, offers more than the world. That's the point. Our love for others is fueled by our having been loved first by God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't warrant it. To think otherwise is a vast misunderstanding of the gospel. We did not deserve God's love, and yet He loved us. You know what He says? Go and do likewise. That person that's hard to love at work, love them. That person that's hard to love at school, that person that's hard to love in the neighborhood, listen, we all got them. We all got those people. Some of those people for you are in here. Hard to love. You know what he says? Love them. Love them. And, and what he's saying, what Paul is saying here in Galatians 5, is that we have been set free to love even when people are unlovable. Even when they're unlovable. You, you look at how, you look at 1 Corinthians 13, those things are actions. Love, patient, kind, not jealous, does not brag, arrogant. Does not, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, it rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. You know what Paul says earlier in verses 1 through 3? If you do not have love, everything else you do is worthless. You're like a noisy gong. In, Ma in Philippians 2, he said, Paul writes this, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. See where it started? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. To do otherwise, to live otherwise, without that same attitude, that same mindset, is, it's an abuse of the gospel. It's a misrepresentation. And what Paul is calling for for us, and you see it on your handout, is the discipline of thinking and dwelling on our adoption as sons our justification, our future glorification. The task we have is consuming our minds with what we have and who we are in Christ and allowing our behaviors to be brought in line with the reality of that. And what Paul says in verse 15 is when we don't do that, when we're fighting, anybody ever have siblings? Had si I grew up only child, and some of you are probably thinking that explains a lot. I, I grew up an only child. There was no sibling rivalry. I mean, my parents are here, and they took wonderful care of me. You know, my, my children are, you know, are 
for better or worse, they are little Chris's about 9 o'clock every night. Can we have a milkshake? Well, guess what? I grew up with a mom every night. I didn't even have to ask. My mom, and she didn't even use a blender. I'm lazy. I use a blender. She hand-churned that thing every night. You know what my kids want every night? They went to Meemaw's and they went to Nana and Papa's. They came home and were like, hey, she makes milkshakes every night. <laughs> yeah, she does. She's been doing that for about 25 years. We want milkshakes every night. Then you know what they start doing? They are arguing about what kind of milkshake. I want bear tracks. I want Oreo. What Paul is saying here is this. If you bite and devour one another, if the love of God is not reigning, you know what this is going to be? It's just going to be a place of squabbling. It's going to be a place of sibling rivalry. It's going to be a place of a bunch of brothers and sisters trying to one-up themselves in the presence of their father. And it's not going to have an impact. What he's saying is this, and I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff and just hit, those, hit the handout. Do not be enslaved by the world's definition of freedom where we live at the expense of others. That's the world's definition of freedom. I'm going to do what I'm going to do no matter what it costs you or anyone else. And what he's saying is this. True freedom is not doing what we want, but it's doing what is best for others because of our relationship with Christ. And when we truly grasp the gospel, everything changes. And what Paul is saying is this, a person is truly free when they are not under the control of their natural desires, when they can deny themselves and others. That's true freedom. Let's be honest. I hear people all the time saying, that thing doesn't enslave me, well, stop doing it. Well, I can't. Hello. Isn't that the definition of a slave? That's the definition of being in control of something else when you can't stop doing it? That's true freedom. True freedom is when, I don't, when I, don't, I don't glorify Chris. I'm not saying I'm perfect at that, but I'm saying that's where true freedom lies, when I lay it down, when I can lay down everything for someone else. Why? Because in Christ, I have everything. I have everything. I don't need my identity out here. My identity is found in the gospel. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have been declared to be a son of God. And slavery, the last thing, slavery to the will of God is true freedom. Please hear that. That's the paradox, if you will. The reality is that I can waste my life on other people and know that in doing so, I gain eternal life. By giving it away, I gain, not that I earn salvation, but I'm saying, the Bible says that's the proof. That's the confidence, the assurance. God working through me. Trust the gospel. Boys, girls, men, women, trust the gospel for your identity. Be freed by that. 